Hey, everybody. Before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You can also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are going to be talking about To Dust. Uh, this is an episode we recorded back when it was in theaters. It was only in theaters for a couple of weeks, so we decided to hold on to it for the VOD release. And it is finally out on VOD, and we are really excited for people to finally be able to see this movie. Because, you know, with the limited release, I don't think a lot of people really got to see it in the theaters. And uh, honestly, this is one of my favorite movies of the year so far. Uh, It's from director Sean Snyder, and it's about a Hasidic Jew whose wife dies, and he's having real problems dealing with uh, trying to imagine what is going to happen to her actual body when it is buried in the earth. And it, uh, it, it, it's very weird, very dark, but also very funny. And uh, he seeks out the help of a community college professor played by Matthew Broderick in a, a very ridiculous role. Um, but he seeks him out to, to help him you know, figure out what's going to happen to the body. And they kind of go on this journey to learn about decomposition together. So it's it's a, a very, very unique movie. And Chris Cranock joins me for this one. He's been on the show a bunch of times, and he's actually the one who brought this movie to my attention. So after I went out and saw it and loved it as much as he did, we absolutely had to do the episode. So if you haven't seen To Dust, you should watch it. It's available now on VOD uh, and... I also want to remind you to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. And also make sure to join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, a movie discussion group. We recently renamed it. I wanted to have a separate name from the actual podcast. So, you know, you also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. So uh, with all that said, let's jump into the conversation about Two Dust. All right, so back on the podcast, we got Chris Cranock. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing very well, thank you. Thanks for having me back. Always glad to have you here, man. Uh, and this is a movie that uh, was totally not on my radar until you recommended it, so thank <laughs> you very much for that, because I love this movie. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, the thing is, you know, uh, I'm so uh, I'm so aggressive as you know as you are and as the community is about trying to see these little movies that pop up. Yeah, and I'll be perfectly honest, I h- had no idea uh, about it at all. I had never heard of it, and all of a sudden it popped up on like my Fandango app, and I was like, okay, well that sounds like all the makings for a movie I'd like. Right. So I'll go see it, and I just went to go see it immediately, and I loved it. And then I was like, <laughs> you have to see this. So yeah. I'm happy that that you went out and saw it too. No, absolutely. Um, this movie has so many of the things that I like from just the. Uh, the weirdness, the awkwardness, the creepiness, the dark comedy, the Jewish mysticism. I, I love all, yeah. everything in this. I mean, it's just so 
it's such a weird and, and unique movie. It's so much fun. Yeah, that's one of the things that I liked about it most is that it really was weird. Yeah. But, <laughs> but... You know, that's the thing is like, it's almost easy to be weird, but it's really hard to be weird and good. Right, right. And uh, it somehow didn't let its weirdness overwhelm the movie. Especially with a concept that like, as soon as you start to describe it, it sounds like you're like setting up a punchline for a joke that's yeah. gonna be like one note joke and right. it's never going to go anywhere. Right. Um. But yeah, no, I mean, it, they. It, I feel like this movie had stuff to say, it had a reason to exist, and it's... uh. It was it was definitely a success in my book. Um, yeah, really yeah. unique film. Probably one of the most. I mean, it's still early early in the year, but it's definitely the most unique movie I've seen so far. Sure. And uh, yeah, I kind of transitioned from like in the beginning. I was like, okay, yeah, like I appreciate this movie, but then by the end of it, I was like, I love this movie. I yeah. really truly enjoyed it. So <laughs> yeah, it was a strange film. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we jump into puzzle pieces? And so the first puzzle piece for Two Dust. What do you got? All right. So speaking of weird, being on the weird. Uh, thought bubble there. I uh, I'm gonna have to go with Eraserhead. Okay. So this is a David Lynch classic. It was his debut feature film from the late 70s, 1977. Kind of a cult hit from the midnight movie era, which you know kind of put it into the the public consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole film felt very Lynchian, mm-hmm. uh, and it felt particularly like Eraserhead with some of its dream imagery. Yeah, where the character in Two Dust is kind of having dreams about his wife, you know, what what's happening to her corpse. Yeah, and there's almost like a stop motion animation quality you know, quality to these dreams, and this is to me this is straight out of the animation inside the early short films yeah. of David Lynch that predate Eraserhead. And then are used in Eraserhead, right? Um, Particular. I mean, the thing is, it's arguable if they're dream sequences in Eraserhead or if they're like waking life sequences. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of crossover sure. in that film. But uh, I mean, it's the, just the kind of grotesqueness of the of the animation and the style uh, really helped to give it give the whole film a Lynchian vibe. Yeah. And uh, so I was I was really reminded of of Eraserhead right from the get go. And then like just like there's one shot in particular where they're like it's a slow kind of push in. To this like a circular orb of light, and it was, and I was like, that is Eraserhead. It was like that, totally. was, you know, from that moment. So, and um, all in a good way. I loved it. I'm glad you brought Eraserhead up because I I couldn't quite think of of the perfect uh, movie that uses stop motion animation in that way to to use. So I'm glad you brought this one to uh, to the forefront here. Uh, I mean, I was I was starting to think of some like early MTV sketch animation things that they used to do and uh-huh. whatnot, and just some of the other weird animation type things like that. I was kind of googling some examples, but I wasn't quite finding one that mm-hmm. uh, that I wanted to use. So I'm glad you brought this one. Yeah. to the table. Large Marge from Pee Wee's Big Adventure, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. I still have nightmares <laughs> about. Probably yeah. that that's the most terrifying thing. That's scarier than anything David Lynch ever created. Yeah. was Tim Burton's Large Marge. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, something like that. But yeah, this Eraserhead has such a... Like, one of the things Eraserhead succeeds in most is being atmospheric. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's such a bizarre and surreal movie that if you don't submit to its style, if you don't submit to its uh, to its atmosphere and its tone, then I mean, you won't have a very fun experience. Because sure. that's really... What, that's the meat and potatoes of it, more than plot or character. You have characters like Mrs. X and things. Yeah, these are just sure. kind of these broad uh, artistic ideas. So if you don't enjoy the atmosphere, then that's really that's the end of the movie, in my opinion. You know? Sure. So I, when I think of Two Dust, there's so much more. It's more of like a contemporary plot-driven story with great character development, and yet there's all this like Lynchian, you know, atmosphere kind of snuck into it. Yeah. And it really is creepy. I mean, the movie is like you said earlier, it's funny, it's it's dramatic, 
it's scary. Like there's all those things wrapped into one, which makes it so unique. Yeah. But the scary elements, I think, kind of call back onto a Lynchian uh, quality. And, and those scary elements, they, uh, they're, they're, they're so appropriate for that feeling of just like scared of like what happens to the body after death, which mm-hmm. is the theme of the movie and whatnot. Um, and so it's like it kind of mirrors it, like the the weirdness and, and darkness of of the movie itself mirrors that feeling of not knowing what's happening to his wife, like him not mm-hmm. knowing what's happening to his wife. And I, I just thought that was really cool too, the way. They, they did that yeah i mean for for not i mean uh it doesn't seem like a first i don't know if it's a first time director it might be his first feature film or or a second feature film i'm not sure but for someone who's relatively new to the game i think he took a big risk with telling a story like this yeah had all these different and sometimes conflicting things and and merged them together beautifully for for this movie there's you know it's it's funny there's um there's not that huge chasm of between horror and comedy that one would first think they're both like the most ridiculous of the genres mm. comedy is silly and sometimes horror is silly sure you know so they actually are fairly close and sometimes when horror movies are most successful is when they don't entirely take themselves too seriously mm-hmm. now you're gonna laugh at me but even in the shining we have the guy dressed <laughs> up in a bear suit blowing a guy like there's all kinds of weird little <laughs> surreal comedy in sure. the shining jack nicholson's performance is kind of comedic in a way so yeah they, they live very closely together but i will say that i haven't laughed at like a scary movie as hard in a while as to dust sure. i was creeped out legitimately and then laughed out loud and that is a really weird that's a weird thing to be able to get both yeah. so strongly anyway. that, that's that's awesome I, I i love that description i think that's <laughs> great um before i move on to my first puzzle piece i was just going to give myself a quick plug here oh, because okay. while i was searching for stop motion animation dark creepy weird stuff I found my Back into the Dark video <laughs> listed as one of the best ones. Well, that's like, awesome. I was like, holy shit, that's pretty cool. That's so. pretty awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice uh, company to keep. Creepy, yeah. creepy company. I that's like it. Exactly. That's cool. <laughs> well, I'm going to go with my uh, my most obvious one up front, which is the Coen Brothers' A Serious Man, mm-hmm. uh, which also has that Jewish setting, deals with uh, that Jewish mysticism, has a really dry sense of humor, um, and just dealing with that feeling of incompleteness despite uh having the spiritual angle um just not not being able to really tie everything together into your own life and uh i, I just thought that was so interesting also dibux uh, co- yeah come up which <laughs> i actually i i don't know how this is possible i didn't know about dibux growing up i wish i did because they would have worked their way into some of my songs <laughs> and stuff but dibux are uh, that's a great word well i made it it's <laughs> funny I, I wrote something recently where i made a joke where a, a gentleman this is a very weird thing it's going to be hard to fully understand but a yeah. character observes someone and, and mistakenly thinks they're a rabbi and mm. they're not a rabbi and and the, the first guy says well you know you should t- i should tell you before we start talking that i'm an atheist and mm. the and the person who's misconstrued as a jewish rabbi says most of the jews i know are atheists it's yeah. really about community yeah yeah you know, so there's like <laughs> yeah so, so true i feel like a lot of i mean i've met a, most of the jewish people i've met in my life have been secular jews that, that are involved in the community and so yeah the culture maybe doesn't come up yeah this dibbic this almost the probably one of the most you know supernatural elements of the faith is probably left on the on the doorway. I, I went to Sunday step. school every week up until my bar mitzvah. Oh, wow. I, I didn't learn a thing. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm sure that's true for most faiths. Yeah, I don't probably, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but a, I don't learn anything. You're so. only seeing a fraction of, yeah. of what's going on there. I, I learned the words, and that was that was the end of the story. Yeah, you know? serious, serious man's <laughs> on my list too. Yeah, yeah. 
I was just gonna say, so it was on. It was on my list. It was, I was mentioning it because of the Dybbuk thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, for Serious Man, for me, it was the first time I was introduced to a Dybbuk, mm-hmm. and I loved the idea immediately. I was like, okay, we have basically a Jewish zombie. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm into it. <laughs> it's, yeah. So, uh, so no, I really enjoyed that, and I think that they kind of, I like that they incorporated the Dybbuk lore into the story of to dust through the children yes that they were uncertain about what if their father was is possessed by the spirit or if he himself is a Dybbuk which yeah. essentially is kind of like a, a a spirit that lingers it's almost like a ghost and a zombie kind of combined sure. yeah uh, and they typically are like Hasidic you know type Jewish people so it's really interesting weird myth yeah and uh one of my favorite scenes of to dust is when they're speaking to his foot while the father sleeps, and yeah. they're trying to get the Dybbuk out. They're just like, get out, get out, Dybbuk. They're like yelling at his foot. And you know, it's funny because the movie is a conflict of, of faith film, I mean, in yeah. a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. It's not necessarily the, like one of the most obvious things, you know, it's not like uh, advertised as that. But the fact that it seems, I mean, I'm not Jewish, so as an outsider, what it seems, not being very educated, that the Hasidic faith is fairly strict and you know, has these very kind of clear guidelines sure and then from what i have learned after the film is that they're pretty private about the burial process of mm-hmm. what exactly happens yeah and that's the that's like the launching pad for the entire film of like this guy he wants this kind of secular knowledge yeah. that his faith doesn't provide him and it's not that he's really doubting the faith which i think is an interesting slant it's not that he's kind of losing the faith yeah it's just that he's reached a point in his life where the faith isn't providing him enough he needs more he needs more yeah and that's a much more interesting slant on it i think and maybe more realistic than just like well to hell with this faith yeah i'm just gonna abandon it you know, right that's, and that's a story that's you know interesting in its own right but this was even more interesting to me because it was more nuanced and yeah i was like well what if you had no access to that information it would probably drive you to the plot of this movie right so yeah, so Serious Man was definitely on it, and because I, I I don't remember a more Jewish film than a Serious Man. It's so true. Yeah, that's another thing. The both of these movies mine so much comedy out of out of Jewishness, you know. And there's yeah. really not a lot recently that does that. At least not not in this way. I mean, it might be like a neurotic Jew or something like right, that. Yeah. But yeah. you don't get out of the actual Jewish faith and Jewish customs and stuff right. like that. And yeah. it does it so well. Yeah, it was, it was real quick before we move on. I was. Recently, I kind of re- went back recently and watched Seinfeld again, and I, you know, and I was just so, you know, blown away by how brilliant it is. I always thought it was, of course, but you see it again, you're like, wow, this really is yeah. as good as you thought it was. And I was re- watching a documentary about it, and the I remember the NBC executives had this concern that it was too Jewish, <laughs> and it's funny yeah. because, like, you know, Seinfeld revolutionized television and became so a part of our culture, and yeah. all these words and idioms were in the lexicon. And we, you know, we owe, you know, we owe a big part of American identity to the Jewish culture, and it's not really celebrated that way. It's not really looked at through that lens. Yeah. And so it's nice to see movies like A Serious Man and Now to Dust, where we get more insight into this culture that is idiosyncratic and strange and beautiful and funny. You know, and that's just it's just really neat. So yeah, I definitely think a movie like To Dust is a direct descendant of a movie like. Um, a serious man, sure. which was only made because they won the Academy Award a year and a half earlier, and they were and, able to make yeah, something. Exactly. Like that. They, yeah, exactly. I think Roger Ebert said, "You know, you, this is the kind of movie you make regarding a serious man after you win an Oscar." Yeah, that's the only movie that, you know when you can get it made. Yeah. So yeah, it's. I mean, they're both little gems, yeah. and uh, and they gave 
uh, really unique insight into a, a wonderful culture. You know, real quick, I wasn't going to go in this direction, but just to, to expound upon that, um, I think this is a perfect example of when people say that movies without Netflix won't get made, like these mm -hmm. kind of movies. Mm -hmm. We just saw this one in the theater, so yeah. checkmate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all these mo movies are still getting made. Yeah. They're, they're getting smaller. You're, they're getting on smaller budgets. I mean, there yep. are there's a reality yeah. to that. But Absolutely. the thing is, that's that's honestly, I don't think it's any different than when True Lies was getting made it's in the 90s. It's always been this way. Yeah. There's always been indies that only get smaller theatrical yeah. runs. That's that's all I want, people. Yeah. The thing is, I if I the Coens are making movies, <laughs> if Alexander Payne is making movies and getting them in theaters, uh, then we there's some hope that these small little movies that are unique. I mean, say Ron Perlman was a producer on To Dust. Yeah, that's right. And I saw his so, name in there. Yeah, so there's there are actors and there are producers out there that care about passion projects. Yeah, I mean, Vox Lux was another passion project sure. where you know Natalie Portman and Jude Law came on as executive producers yeah. and helped get the film made and get it out there. So really, I mean, the hope is that people don't want to do good work. Yeah, and there's you know there are people in the system that want to do good work and they're going to go make pet pot projects yeah. and you know it is going to happen but yeah it's netflix is a threat but it's not the end all be all sure absolutely yeah. so what's your uh, next puzzle piece uh i'm gonna go with a movie called uh, down by law okay. which is a jim jarmusch film one of my all-time favorite movies uh for a couple reasons i want to mention this movie because the first reason is the is kind of the tone which jim has a way of making very slow movies they mm -hmm. don't rush they're going in no direction in particular and down by law is that way it kind of lingers and it's paced it's kind of strangely especially to modern audiences uh but it's full of rich characters and it's also has kind of an interesting cockeyed plot <laughs> so down by law it's about three guys in new orleans that all end up in the same prison cell for a variety of reasons and they're John Laurie, the kind of acid jazz musician, Roberto uh, Benini, the uh, the Italian comedian, and Tom Waits, which mm -hmm. you know was gonna, I think it's I think it's his acting debut, if not one of them, okay. close, you know, my, one of his first films. And uh, so it's these really weird people stuck in this room together, and they all break out. Right. So the plot, I mean, doesn't have that much to do with it, but just the idea that it has this little premise and these wonderful characters, and this weird kind of dark sensibility, and this slow plotting pace. I think this movie owes a lot to Jim Jarmusch in general. And then another reason why I really think that uh, Down by Law fits best is because the Tom Waits. Mm -hmm. Because the very opening song of To Dust is a Tom Waits song. That's right, yeah, yeah. Off his Frank Wild, Frank Wild Year album, which I'm a huge Tom Waits fan, so I knew the song, and I knew which album it's from and things. So it was really fun to be like, oh, wow, that's a unique song that we're not going to hear in movies every day. That's really obscure Tom Waits song, not like one of his Rod Stewart covered, you know, hits. Right. You know, but this movie, this song called Blow, Wind, Blow, off his semi-obscure album from the 80s that is like, one of his least admired. So it's really kind of interesting to, to hear that. And once you, that's the thing is like, when you mention people like David Lynch, when mm -hmm. you name people like Tom Waits, there's this kind of cultish following about those people. Sure. It's like, you know, you see someone with a Tom Waits shirt and you're like, that guy is cool. Like, it's like, you know, it's like you're like in this secret club. You know, growing up, I mean, it's different now as an adult, but growing up, when you first discover Tom Waits and you first discover David Lynch, it feels like a true discovery. You yeah, mean, yeah. you're like now in this cool group of people and everyone else are idiot. Everyone else is an idiot. <laughs> uh, and... And that kind of that magic kind of fades away as you get older, but there is this intense feeling that you're into something unique. Sure. And so when I heard that song, uh, combined with the opening visuals of the movie, 
I thought this is th- these are that type of people like that. They're this little. They really appreciate the niche. They appreciate the indie, the underground, the things that not sure. everybody knows. And I almost felt like I, it was a movie made for us, relics of those weird little groups that we clung, we you know, we hung on to so intensely growing up. That makes sense. So that's kind of like that. Those are. I feel like they. They're like me. This is a movie I would have made. Right, you know what I mean? Right. That my sensibilities are similar. So I think Down by Law, uh, excellent film, sparsely made, you know, very simple, about friends, about people yeah. growing together, and uh, very similar. Yeah, going back to that, um, to like the main movie, Down by Law, um, I, I think, I can't remember who it was, some screenwriter that said like one of his favorite things about screenwriting is coming up with these characters and then just seeing what they end up doing, mm-hmm. you know, once they start writing. Um, and it, this feels like that kind of a movie where it's like, you know, you've got this schlubby college, you know, community college <laughs> professor and you've got this Hasidic Jew and what would they do together, you right. know? And, yeah. uh, and the story comes from there that it's just such rich characters. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the classic odd couple formula, you yeah. know what I mean? But it's, it's so, it's taken to its, to its extremes. I mean, this is the weirdest odd couple I've seen in probably a long time. Oh, yeah. You know, it makes perfect logical sense of why they'd actually get together. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I, I think, but... Yeah, yeah absolutely. But, uh, well, but it's strange, yeah. I mean, how would you? How would Tom Waits and Roberto Benigni end up yeah. in the same prison cell? <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, there you go, right? So... Well, I'm going to continue with another odd couple. Go ahead. Um, and that is the couple in Swiss Army Man. Which is another very strange, offbeat movie that came out of this this time in cinema right now. <laughs> yeah. Which is, there's not a lot coming out that's this weird. Um, and it, not only because of the the weird couple, but also the the offbeat tone. Um, and then the parallel kind of continues along with the the issues of mental health, I think, mm-hmm. um, but in a different way. Whereas in uh, Swiss Army Man, he's clearly um, you know, he's kind of like delusional and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And this, it's more of of uh, grief based mental mm-hmm. health issues. But right. uh, but you're you're still dealing with uh, with characters who are having a real tough time of the world. You yeah. know, and uh, and related to death. Yeah, and related to death, absolutely. And and this this friendship that that arises helps them through a really difficult time that has come about because of death. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think both movies, in a way, are about grief. I think that Swiss Army Man's more ambiguous as to where you know what sure what, how did he end up here and what the situation it's kind of even more surrealist but I feel that they both deal with grief and then to dust I think more pointedly deals with grief sure you know that movie's really about grief and Absolutely. what you know, and what it pushes us to and it's bold to make a comedy about grief. It is. That's a tough thing to do. A horror comedy, kind yeah, of. Yeah, horror comedy <laughs> yeah. about grief. That yeah. sounds like, yeah, where's my ticket? You know, yeah. It's like, you know, I hope people aren't like, what the hell? And then, yeah. you know, <laughs> go see it. It's really something special. But yeah, no, I, I agree. I actually almost included that on my list as well. I, yeah. I, like, I think I, it passed my, passed my brain, but sure. I didn't write it down. But I should have, because it's a great one. Yeah, <laughs> both to do with corpses, both yep. to do with... Kind of this unlikely friendship in the face of death. Some weird animation parts yeah, and whatnot. Yeah, that's and true. They actually yeah. share quite a bit. Yeah, I, I was very fortunate. I was able to. I attended a a, a, a like kind of like a um, a filmmaking summit, and the filmmakers of um, Swiss Army Man were there. The Daniels. And I had an opportunity. Yeah, the Daniels. Exactly. <laughs> they started on YouTube. They're like YouTube sensations. Yeah. And, you know. And so we both started at the same time with like the five D Mark II boom with mm. that. Yeah, you know, the Canon camera boom, where all of a sudden we could you know make quote-unquote cinematic looking stuff for like three thousand bucks sure so we had a lot to talk about and they were very 
uh, sweet and sweet guys that were very uh, sensitive. You know, they were the movie, the Swiss Army Man is very silly and gross and ridiculous and definitely something that comes out of like the YouTube generation. But it's also very sweet and sensitive and sure. has a lot to say. And they're they are like that. They're very sensitive and very perceptive people. It seems like they would be. Yeah, they were very very kind and very uh, very open, and they wanted very communicative. They wanted to discuss you know, things, and and that, that was what you know you could tell they were passionate about it, and that you know kind of bled into their into their film. And I definitely think that To Dust must have been made by really passionate people. Oh, a movie like yeah. that doesn't get made without a true curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Curiosity is a great word yeah. for it. Because I don't know really what happens to a dead body. No. I yeah. do now. Never really thought about it no. before, but <laughs> here we are, you know. I mean, the thing is, that's the other thing, is that someone else's death often is a mirror for our own demise. You know, we yeah. the, t- the clock's ticking, you know, and we do a great job of ignoring that fact every day. But, you know, when someone else dies, it does confront you with your own mortality, and especially when a loved one dies, I think that you are, you worry, you know, you're like, because I mean, I'm, I'm an atheist, so I don't, you know, I think they're just in the ground and that's that. Yeah. But, and that adds, to me, that's comforting. That yeah. it, it gives me a certain solace. But for people of faith, if I'm trying to be as empathetic as possible and put myself in other people's shoes, mm-hmm. I would, I would be confused being a person of faith. Yeah. I would be frightened for my loved ones. And so I really felt connected to the story of Tadest because, you know, I wanted to know. I wanted the you know. I wanted the mystery to be solved, and I the, the way the character did. But yeah. I, I just knew that there was never going to be a true, sure, true, yeah. satisfactory <laughs> answer. So that's you know that's that's interesting. There's there's a I forget who said it, but um, they asked a filmmaker. They said you know did you find the answers? And he said no, they don't have any answers, and that's why the questions are so interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so that's kind of that's kind of the movie. Absolutely. What's your uh, next puzzle piece? Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna stick with my Tom Waits thing here. I'm gonna make a movie. I'm gonna uh, movie called Wrist Cutters, a love story. You remember this one? I do. I did see that a long time ago. Yeah, it's weird. It wasn't great. Yeah, I didn't like love it. It was all right, but it had Tom Waits in it, and that yeah. helps a lot. You know what I mean, that's that's good. Um, but Wrist Cutters is kind of a supernatural movie about suicide, mm-hmm. where they like cross over, and there's kind of like Tom Waits is like kind of like a guide and there's kind of like you know dante parallels and stuff so it's a little bit more um surrealist than to dust mm-hmm. but it's funny when i read about to dust briefly i just i looked up a really fast synopsis before i went to go see the movie and it had something it described something like they were gonna going on a journey like into hell <laughs> and i don't know who wrote it that way or where i read that but i was expecting something more literal right. something that was like you know something where they were going to hell and it was not that. It was a journey totally in our world. Sure. You know, I imagine made possibly from a secular, a secular viewpoint. I don't mm. know if the filmmakers were particularly spiritual or religious, but that, but they, because I didn't, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, it's just total speculation. I would imagine they grew up around it, but maybe yeah. weren't in it themselves, you yeah. know? Yeah, because they were more objective about it. Yeah. I mean, that's, they're coming from an object, objective secular mindset, I think. You yeah. Know? I don't know, but, but yeah, so when I looked at risk, risk cutters, I think the subject matter obviously is connected for death and things of that nature and the journey element to it, but also to kind of like more nuts and bolts, like the, the pacing of the movie, like risk cutters is kind of a oddly paced movie mm-hmm. and it's not like wildly laugh out loud funny, but it is a comedy. So these kind of weird jokes and zingers come along and the movie kind of plods about. And so I saw the similarities from that as well and in, into to dust, which is I think a more successful attempt at, at that type of, um, structure that that type of 
pace. Yeah. Because uh, at first, in fact, I mean, I'll just be honest. At first, I was like very uncertain about how I felt about To Dust because it was paced kind of strangely. Mm-hmm. And some of the jokes didn't quite land. And I was like, am I, is this funny? Is this not funny? Like, how do I feel about it? And before I tried to in- intellectualize it, I was like, okay, well, let's just submit and see the movie and see sure. what happens. Yeah, I try to always stop myself before I make any judgment five minutes into the damn movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's hard to resist sometimes. You're like, oh, yeah. you're like, I don't like this. And then you're like, wait a second, let's you know, give it give it a break here. Yeah. But anyway, but that's, I kind of like, was like, oh, this is kind of a weird pace here. I don't know. But then it ended up, I think, really working. And risk cutters, it worked less so. But a similar kind of pace. Slow, plodding, kind of methodical, with this kind of dark string of humor. And I think To Dust was just more successful in its humor as well. Yeah. I, it's funny. I, I'm just trying to remember risk cutters. It was so long ago. And the one thing I really like vividly remember about that movie is that there was like a string of time for like a year or two where any time you turned on on demand, it was like the first thing you'd see when you turned it on. <laughs> yeah. It was like Shawshank Redemption on TNT. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, it's one of those movies that like probably didn't get a big theater, theatrical release, but right. they put it on you know, demand. They like yeah. you know, played the crap out of it. All over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right on. Well, uh, my next puzzle piece um, has to do with uh, with the main character, Shmuel's... Is it Shmuel? I think it's Shmuel. He calls him Shmuley. Yeah, Shmuley. <laughs> <but> yeah. <laughs> um, with, with, his, uh, you know, with his search for the answers, which is what we've been talking about this whole time, but um, it's The Fountain from Darren Aronofsky. Oh, one of my favorite movies. Uh, I love The Fountain. Yeah, and um, and just that, that, that search for answers that is just impossible and mm-hmm. just really... Uh, kind of drives you to to the edge of you know going crazy and, to burying a pig, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to burying a pig, yeah, to stealing a pig, yeah. naming the pig, and <laughs> and then forcing Matthew Broderick to yeah. kill it. Poor Matthew Broderick. I know, man. <laughs> I'm so happy he decided to do this movie. I know, me too. I'm like, he probably got that script and was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. All right. I'm not doing anything. Yeah. I, what am I doing? <laughs> just hanging around. I, yeah. I used to be Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Like, no, I love it. Yeah. But yeah, no, the, the Fountain is a movie that I absolutely love as well. And it's like, you know, anytime I could bring it up, it, it's, it, you know, it, it and I, I, it was probably the first piece I thought of other than a serious man, just because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just watching this poor guy, like just really like struggle with, with yeah. these questions and, uh, and trying to find a way to reconcile, you know, death for yeah. himself, you know? That's true. I mean, it's just such an underappreciated movie. The film. And Darren it's Aronofsky, so he's such a hard filmmaker to put your finger on, which is why I think like some of his movies like go unnoticed like he made rec room for a dream he followed that with the fountain he followed that with the wrestler yeah and you're like what and then he did black swan then he did noah yeah god i love noah but anyway so yeah so he's a really uh bizarre off the wall type of film director he takes a lot of risks i don't even like all of his movies but i just appreciate what a risk they are all the time that they're different and yeah he has something to say so i really appreciate him as a filmmaker even more than i like him and uh although i do like a lot of what he does and uh you know it's funny yeah it's just a, a kind of an underpraised movie but definitely connected and also real quick i wanted to mention because you said serious man again i almost forgot something to say with a serious man sure which is that i mean this is something i think is directly from a serious man in that film we get uh jefferson airplane right mm. we get that we get this 1960s music yeah uh, we get lyrics repeated. We get the song on the soundtrack. It's kind of like this weird clashing of cultures, right? We get like the, the hippie movement 
uh, which is kind of seeping into this more traditional Jewish life. Yeah. And then we have the ultimate extreme of that with with uh, the Hasidic Jew in this film, in Tedesta, I mean. But then you also have Jethro Tull. Yeah. <laughs> which the Matthew Broderick character is obsessed with, not necessarily obsessed with, but a fan of. Yeah. Likes to burn one with you too. Sure. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think there's really a, really a close parallel that was either consciously or subconsciously uh, inspired by a serious man yeah. with like that juxtaposition. You know what? You know what my favorite part about the Jethro Tull in this was is how that song was playing through the whole thing, and they'd never <laughs> bring it down in the mix no. or anything. It's just like you're you're in this room, and Jethro Tull's just blasting, yep. like in the yep. room. Exactly. <laughs> I love while he that. chokes out a pig. Yeah, while he chokes out a pig. Yeah, and that was that was one of the like it was that scene reminded me of this is not my not a puzzle piece or anything, but like this just when I watched that scene of him choking out that pig and listening to that song, I was like, okay, this is my James Franco playing Britney Spears on a piano like scene <laughs> right. this year. Because I remember watching Spring Breakers, and he's playing Britney Spears, and they're all dancing around with like ski masks and machine yeah. guns, and I was like, well, this is the weirdest and best scene I'll see <laughs> this year. There's not going to be a weirder scene than this. Right. I'm just going to suck it in. And then when I watched Matthew Broderick murder a pig, which is Jethro Tull, I was like, well, here, here's my James Franco playing Britney Spears scene. Yeah. Suck it in. Breathe it in. <laughs> and so there you go. That's it. When you can pull a scene off, when you can pull a scene off like that, then you've done something. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's hard. That's special. That's special. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Go on. No, that, that's all I got. What do you got for your next puzzle piece? <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna, there's another movie called, um, from 2009, this is a movie called Tickling Leo. This was a really kind of underseen indie movie. Uh, it's more of a drama about the, about the Jewish culture. It's about a guy who kind of holds some secrets close to him from the Holocaust era, and then his three like kind of three generations of this jewish family kind of slowly uncover uh what happened in that time period um it reminds me of to dust in the sense that of course it's about the jewish faith and culture Mm -hmm. and it gives us more insight into that which i think is rare and interesting uh but also just the fact that it's kind of like this weird little indie movie there's something there's kind of something that they share that um, it, it doesn't follow the more traditional method of storytelling because it, it's indie. Right. You know, it doesn't have the big budget demands uh, that we we need to get a hundred. We need to get five hundred million dollars. You know, on a on a uh, on a theatrical run. You know, for it to be considered successful. Sure. So just a m- more unconventional approach to storytelling for Tickling Leo. Uh, I love the title, Tickling Leo. It cracks me up, kind of. Even <laughs> it's not funny. And um, and yeah, and then it gives us more insight into that culture. Interesting. Yeah. No, I hadn't heard of that movie. Um, it sounds interesting. It's though. good though. Yeah. It's yeah. really good. You check it out. Right on. Uh, well, cool. Well, uh, my next puzzle piece, this one has to do specifically with Matthew Broderick's character. Um, and that is Alexander Payne's election. Yo, yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, I feel like his character could be Jim McAllister grown up 20 <laughs> years later after getting run out of town, you know? I think so. Yeah. yeah. That this could be his new identity that he has started in his life as a community, uh, college science teacher, not a very good one. Right. And just, uh, but he's just, he's got that exact same schmucky energy Yep. And uh, it, it for someone like myself who absolutely loves that movie, I love Election, Election. Me yeah, too. So good. I'm a big Alexander Payne guy. Yeah, I, 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 this feels in many ways at least 
the the Matthew Broderick stuff feels like a spiritual sequel to mm-hmm. that, you know. Sure. Um, obviously, the rest of the movie is very different, yeah. but at least in the character wise, he's he's pulling from the same source, I think. Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm not sure if that is uh, the limitations of Broderick's range, or or, <laughs> yeah. or no, no, I'm just kidding. But yeah. I, uh, but no, 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 I agree. I think thing with Matthew Broderick is like he he peaked as like the coolest character that ever existed as a young guy, <laughs> right? And then somehow he's been just so emasculated <laughs> i've never so seen <laughs> i've never seen such a weird drop in persona before yeah. and you know and i've never that's he's a really kind of an enigma you know he's really interesting of what his public perception yeah now, i'm not saying anything about him personally I don't, sure. I don't know anything about him i'm sure he's a just a normal guy but just from how we've perceived him over time is very odd and strange to me. And yeah, and I remember it being refreshing when I saw Election that he was in such a bold movie. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's really, it's kind of a ballsy film. Oh, yeah. And uh, and so, yeah, no, I agree. When he when I saw him in this, I was like, okay, well, there's that character where it's like just this weird, nerdy loser. Yeah. <laughs> but he's really on the cusp of like losing it into dust. Like oh, yeah. his opening scene, he like pushes the projector off the thing. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I've never seen such a... Like he starts at the basement yeah. in this film. Yeah. He starts like he has nowhere to go but up. Well, that's what's so interesting too is that it's the other character who's having the crisis, but yeah. but he is clearly not in any kind of a good place no. to begin with. No, honestly, it was a step up for that character to murder a pig. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's why <what> <laughs> he, he did something. He did something. That was his Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah, and that shit was better than the previous Tuesday <laughs> for that character. I feel that's obvious. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> he's smoking weed. Is like his landlady's like. Very sound conscious, like don't raise yeah. the value. He's living in fear. In his very weird woman's robe. Yeah, <laughs> Dude, that's, there's a lot unexplained about the character. Yeah, there's a lot unexplained about that character. Yeah, and uh, I, I also like the. I really bought the subtle transition where the Roderick character was now on board to do the, to go on this journey. Absolutely. And that's the thing is like as a screenwriter and as a filmmaker, you're like waiting for those beats because mm-hmm. I know them, I study them. It's like okay, I need to break this up so that this plays and this works. So I I often have an academic approach to scripts sure. because I know how they're structured. It's kind of like, I think I've said something like this before, but it's like a comedian that hears a million jokes. Like when you hear the beginning of a joke, you almost know how it's going to work because sure. just structurally you understand it. And so like it's really nice for me anyway not that I'm like a master screenwriter, but it's nice for me to like buy those moves. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm like, okay, start just starting out. I know that Matthew Broderick has to then be on board some way, shape or form. Yeah. The whole first act is bullshit that he's like, Oh, I don't want to do it. And he's reluctant. He's going to want to do it. Absolutely. So I know that's coming. And I mean, so does most of the audience. I mean, we're not, no one's dumb. We, you know, we know how these movies work. And yet when that moment comes, and it's so organic and it feels real and you it's plausible why his position would change that was a that was a nice thing about this movie i really bought his interest and i think it's because they laid that kind of groundwork even though it was ambiguous this guy didn't have a lot going on he's kind of at a weird place yeah and so when he has like this excitement in his life that's really why i think he does it he does it for excitement purposes as well as sympathy yeah um i bought it yeah. and that was that was cool absolutely i i couldn't agree more with that yeah. statement. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, right on. What, what's your uh, next puzzle piece? Um, so I'm going to return to something you said a little a little earlier, um, because I read a couple of reviews after the fact of, of seeing to dust, 
And it kind of said something that I don't necessarily agree with, kind of. So let me stop my preamble here. It's a movie called Being There. Mm. And it's a great Hal Ashby movie. Uh, and it's basically about a mentally challenged or a handicapped character uh, named Chance the Gardener. And he's never left this house. He's an adult man. He's never left a house, kind of a brownstone. And he was the kind of a, a live-in with a, a rich guy who passes away. And once he passes away, the, he, Chance just wanders out into the world. Mm. And, and uh, all he's ever encountered through the outside world is television. So the movie functions brilliantly because it's a one-note joke. Everybody interprets chance's stupidity as wisdom mm. so he says these things he was that he was a gardener at the place and so he'll use he'll talk about gardening in a literal way and they think he's making a metaphor yeah and it goes all the way up to where he has this political influence and starts talking to the president and it's like this hilarious chain of events where he just you know gets ridiculous more and more ridiculous and he keeps you know his his he keeps getting more and more mis misunderstood and misinterpreted right and so What's unique, what, what's the same about To Dust, I mean, is that they're on this one path trajectory. They're mm -hmm. like on this one note thing. But I don't know if it feels the same. Like you mentioned it earlier. I can't quite remember what you said, but it, it said that you're like, Can I, it takes this one note idea and transforms it. I think that was kind right. of the thesis of what you were trying to say. And I agree with that completely because you're right. The plot's very straightforward for To Dust. Yeah. It's like we don't really diverge much from the premise once it gets started you're like he wants to find out what happened to his wife and then then it's kind of clinical after that point it's like we need to get a pig we need to get a live pig we need to bury a pig we need to check on it blah blah you know, it's really kind of a you know by the numbers plot sure and yet because it's kind of such an ingenious and unique and strange way to go about such a straightforward plot it never feels one note right you know, it is structurally just like being there is one joke. You know, mm -hmm. it's thing you keep laughing because the joke just keeps getting amplified. Yeah, it's not a different joke. It's now that it's now there's just so much at stake. Yeah, there's so much more caked onto yeah, it. They're more in. They're more. They're, they're, there's more riding on. They're them getting something out of everything they've been doing. Exactly. Yeah. Every time chance is misinterpreted by the next person up the rung. Now there's more at stake if the if the if the secret is revealed. Yeah. If people find out that he's just this gardener, then oh my god, now there's there's a mountain as opposed to yeah. one misunderstanding. <laughs> there's like 30 people that would be disappointed that would have to reevaluate the last month of their life. So the same joke works again and again and again and again. Yeah. And I feel like that as a there the to dust has a similar momentum. Right. There's like more and more at stake every time they go down this rabbit hole of finding out what happened and take more and more extreme measures. So yeah, it's just kind of interesting. It's very simple, very mm -hmm. straightforward, and yet it, it it builds beautifully and then, you know, it's funny. It's very funny. That's a great one. Um and I'm trying to remember if I've ever actually seen being there. I mean, I certainly right. know of it and it's one of those classics that I probably saw a long so time good. ago, but um yeah, Peter Sellers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I I I I'm pretty sure I saw it a long time ago, but uh, <laughs> no, that's a great one though. I love I love what you're saying there about uh, about the continuing to build off that one thing and it like it keeps gaining mm -hmm. momentum and whatnot I, I think that's really cool I yeah like it. cool right on um so i only have one more puzzle piece here um and this one i actually wrote down for you okay. after i knew you were going to be my my guest for this episode yes uh, and that is 2001 oh uh, Space yeah Odyssey. man that um, is, i okay <laughs> okay wait shh. i'm yeah. gonna shut up here tell we me go so 
Okay, now this one is a little bit theoretical of a puzzle piece, okay? Not shocked. Yeah, so (laughs) (laughs) in theory, I imagine Stanley Kubrick is trying to answer big, unanswerable questions for himself with the movie. Sure, sure. And the character of Shmuel is trying to answer questions that really nothing is going to answer anything for him. Even if he found the biological, what exactly is happening to the wife's body, that's not going to do it for him in any way, shape, or form. Even if he got an exact, specific scientific reason, it's really just grief when it comes down to it. Nothing is going to fix that. Nothing is going to fix the fact that his wife is gone. Um, So yeah, it's that search for search for answers that really there's no answer there that's going to do anything for you. I feel like um, like Kubrick is going for something like that with 2001. Obviously, there's so many ways to interpret a movie mm-hmm. like that. All of his uh, films, yeah, really. But, uh, but so that, that's one way that I looked at 2001 after I watched it. And, uh, and that's a way that I look at this movie, at the, char- the main character's uh, story anyway. You've made me very happy, David. There you go. I passed. <laughs> well, the thing is, uh, you know, and if you may, I uh, add something to that. Sure, please do. So, I mean, you know, in a lot of ways, I think you're exactly right because you know Stanley was another person that was you know on record as being a secular person. Didn't mm-hmm. have you know was you know didn't really have a strong religious influence in his life personally as he grew up and was an adult. And so he made 2001: A Space Odyssey. The film ends. Very ambiguously, but strangely, almost spiritually, you can mm-hmm. interpret it that way. And you know, the movie uh, is really about man, man's tools surpassing man. Sure, it starts with our very first tool, the bone. There's visually represented by the pen floating through space, and then on our, of course, our amazing space stations, and then is epitomized by Hal, who's our greatest work yet, yeah. AI, who then eventually goes beyond our capability of control. And tries to kill us mm. for self-preservation reasons. And so the film follows a very logical pattern until the Stargate sequence, when we've reached beyond the answer. Right? We've, we've, got, we've hit a wall yeah. when it comes to how much we can track and estimate what our, what our potential is. So now we just end up in this surreal fast forward of life and huge philosophical questions shown in the very ambiguous artistic imagery. And it's because how do you end a movie about trying to understand human origin and human potential? Right. How do you end a movie as abstract at its very core, you know, in a more logical way? You you can't. There's right. not like, okay, oh, we turned off how. Well, then that's not very satisfying, is it? Yeah. Even though that's the most brilliant scene of the movie. <laughs> for for To take all the philosophical threads of that film and to tie them in, in a way that feels satisfactory it had to be ultimately ambiguous. There right. could never be anything concrete. Uh, and so that's a really tight rope, to, a tight balance to control is how sure. do I make something ambiguous and yet satisfying? And so, I mean, I think he achieved that. We still talk about it and discuss it and things like that. But I agree. I feel like, I mean, the thing is, it's called a space odyssey. And even to dust is this type of odyssey. It's kind of this journey. Sure. That's a, that's a theme and that's a structure that I really respond to. I like characters that are like always on this mission mm. and they're kind of discovering things. It doesn't have this three-act structure where characters from act one kind of come back in act three and help resolve. I often like establishing characters and letting them just explore a world until they come to some type of conclusion. And so to dust is almost a very realistic 
strangely you know real version of a 2001 and even in its structure right. so i agree completely and i think it's a great thing to bring i never thought of it but i definitely agree with you awesome i i like it i'm glad you i'm glad you're i'm glad you like that <laughs> yeah that's it i'm i'm out too so that's that's it that's it all right well uh then we got our finished puzzle here and then we'll do any uh closing thoughts we had about the movie um so our finished puzzle includes eraser head a serious man down by law Swiss Army Man, Wrist Cutters, A Love Story, The Fountain, Tickling Leo, Election, Being There, and 2001, A Space Odyssey. So, uh, two dust. Um, I honestly would say this is probably my favorite thing I've seen this year. The year's still uh, young, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm really happy that I got to see this in the theater. I'm glad we're doing this episode today. Um, do you have any other like closing thoughts about the movie itself? Uh, just that you should really seek it out. It's going to be one of those movies that's probably going to kind of go, you know, disappear into obscurity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's something I'm noticing is fewer and fewer art house movies are getting Blu-ray releases. Yeah, so it's just yeah. getting DVD or now mm-hmm. just video on demand DVD, releases. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, see, if you can't see it in theaters, it's still playing in theaters. I believe it's still on my Fandango app, so it should be playing. If you can see it by the time this podcast airs, go and see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really something special. Be, you know, be, be open to it. You know, the thing is, it, it might be about a culture that you don't particularly relate to or understand. That's the case for me. But as long as you keep yourself open, it, it's fascinating. It's an interesting culture. It's a beautiful culture. It's funny. The movie is frightening and silly and ridiculous, and it's it's a lot of things. It hits a lot of bases. And maybe Matthew Broderick can be your entry point into that. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. sorry, Rabbi. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so good. He's like, I'm not the Rabbi. Uh, yeah. There's, uh, and that's the thing is, you know, maybe be prepared for a couple wry smiles more than like belly laughs. Sure. You know what yeah. I mean? yeah. That's the thing is, you know, just go into it with an open mind and seek it out if possible. If you can't catch it in the theater. Then go out and and you know purchase it online or or buy it on a, at a DVD or Blu-ray store if those still exist <laughs> and uh, yeah just support it any way you can because this is the type of movie that we should get more of each year and uh, is just a, usually a small blip on the radar in the early part of the year absolutely um, well Chris uh, I'd love you to do some plugs and also you have anything you've watched recently that you'd like to recommend oh man so much so i've been like on a theater binge recently i've okay. had the opportunity to actually go so uh i'll just do a fast list everybody knows you definitely go see that uh beautiful movie uh by the, the um uh, iranian director of of um, a separation stars uh, mm. penelope cruz and javier bardem beautiful movie um i really liked um apollo 11 oh, i loved apollo yeah 11. if you have a chance go see it in imax truly a cinematic experience incredible um there's a movie called uh, never look away which is about three hours and 10 minutes long so if you're not like really into german history maybe not but i liked it if you have a, maybe a lazy sunday go check it out i thought it was very good um and then there's like one more on the tip of my brain that i saw um it was a lead of Battle Angel, correct? Oh, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah, it's my yeah. favorite movie Got so far it. this year. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> um, 
No, I think la- then it was last week was just to dust. So yeah, just go see to dust. Yeah, and that's if, a good if, recommendation. If it's, yeah, if it's between <laughs> if it's between to dust and Alita Battle Angel, see to dust. Yes, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll go with that. Even though I liked Alita. Yeah, I, as I said, I thought that was like a neutral way to say that. So, but you would agree that uh, uh, Paris is the capital of France, right? Well, then good. We're back in agreement. We're, we're, we're back, back in agreement. We're back. <laughs> uh, I don't have too much to plug. Um, I am still, of course, working on my film with uh, the generous support of the Kubrick family uh, and Douglas Milsom, the phenomenal cinematographer, cinematographer, pardon me, of Full Metal Jacket. Uh, so that's a slow process, of course. I'm headed back to the UK soon to, to con- continue work on the film. I will be launching an official website soon for the film. It's called Madame X. Uh, it's going to be MadameXMovie.com. Not up yet, but will be soon. So you can see about the film, read about it, see our cast and crew that we have so far, learn about the Kubrick's involvement, which is such an honor and such an insane thing. So you could definitely learn about that. And then I'm also really writing and working on a television show called The Idiot, uh, which hopefully is going to be on a a streaming service sometime soon. So keep your uh, eyes peeled for that. And it's all downhill from here. It's been a little slow right now coming out with the comics, but we are planning to shoot some episodes for a little comedy web series. So that's in the works. So just kind of keep your ear to the ground. I got some new stuff in the works, and it's all coming hopefully very soon. Sounds good, man. We'll, we'll, we'll get you back on here again to keep promoting them as they keep coming. So. All right, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for having me. Right on. Why didn't the three little pigs go in for some kind of flat share scheme? Does Jesus get to choose which wine he turns it into? Why don't Sims have the upper body strength to climb out of a swimming pool? And does everybody really want to be a cat? I'm Will Baker. And I'm Alex Prescott. And if you're the type of person that overthinks these deep philosophical questions, then Think to the Brink is the podcast for you. From Disney characters to song lyrics, debates to social etiquette, tune in every week for your dose of paralysis by analysis. All topic suggestions are welcome. If you can think it, we can overthink it. Think to the Brink. Available on all podcast platforms. All right, so that does it for today's episode of Piecing It Together. And I included that uh, ad for Think to the Brink because it is a podcast that I actually do listen to. I enjoy it quite a bit. And uh, the the way that these characters overthink things in this movie just seemed like a good fit. Uh, so, yeah, I really do hope you guys go out and watch Two Dust. It is a great movie and deserves for more people to see it. Uh, so yeah, that does it for today. I want to remind you all, as always, to please make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together on your podcast app of choice. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all these movies. And, uh, yeah, you know, that's enough stuff for you to do. We got a whole bunch more Piecing It Together coming up, so, you know, just check out all those episodes. And, uh, we got Avengers, we got... Uh, we, we got so much stuff happening on the show. I really want to thank you all for listening because, uh, there's been a lot more listeners lately and I really do appreciate it. So, uh, with that said, I guess let's wrap this thing up with a song as we always do. And today for the show, uh, because this was a very Jewish movie, I figured why not dig into my Jewish comedy rap group, Fakakta. Uh, this is a group that's kind of now defunct. We, we, we've ended the group as of now, but, uh, from our last album, You Took Us For Granted, there's a song on it called Bagel Jews, and it's about how we're Jews, but we're, you know, we're not super Jewish. We're just kind of Jewish, but, <laughs> but I figured it would be a good fit for an episode like this. So enjoy Bagel Jews, and we'll be back next week with more Piecing It Together. 